This morning, I want to start just by talking with the kids a minute. Kids, do you, do you ever dream anything? Do you ever dream anything? Yeah? What do you dream about? Dinosaurs. Ooh, dinosaurs are a fun thing to dream about. Dragons. Yeah. Dragons are a great thing to dream about. Sometimes dreams can be uh, really silly and weird. Sometimes they can feel very, very real. Sometimes I dream that I'm dunking a basketball. So those are some of my favorite dreams. They're still just dreams, but but they're fun. Well, this morning we're going to be talking about um, a man who received some dreams that God spoke to him through angels and through dreams. Did you know that sometimes God has spoken to people through angels and through dreams? How do, how do you expect, kids, that, that uh, God will speak to you? In the Bible? Good. Yeah. We expect that, that the way that God speaks to us is that he speaks to us through his Bible. This is his word. And that's the way that we know what he has to tell us. So even if he might talk to us through some other way, through a dream or an angel or a friend or a vision or some other way, even if he might do that, we always confirm it with what the Bible says. So that we always know that this is God's word from us. In fact, we will see over and over again that as Joseph is getting these dreams and seeing these messages from God through the angels, and an angel is just God's messenger. In fact, the word uh, messenger and angel are the same in Greek. That It's just somebody who's bringing a message from God. And so even if that happens, uh, we check it with what Scripture says. And so uh, in Galatians chapter 1, Paul says, look, even if somebody brings you a message from an angel, or a preacher, or anybody, but it doesn't line up with the gospel that we get in the scriptures, don't believe it. We always check it with scripture. And what we're going to see is that all of these dreams and all of these things that that the angels tell Joseph in Matthew chapter 2, and even in Matthew chapter 1, are immediately followed. Matthew wants us to make sure we know it's connected to scripture. The reason he got this vision, the reason he got this message from God, was to confirm what the prophet said in the scriptures. So listen for that as we go through this, because it's really important on how we expect to hear from God. Okay, now let's look at Matthew chapter 2, okay? Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, here's here's what I have been realizing. I've already told some of you this. You're already uh, 
on the in on knowing what I've been thinking about this. But as I have been reading through Matthew this time, I have realized that Matthew has a very different agenda than Luke. Matthew is communicating something different about the birth of Jesus than Luke. That shouldn't seem weird, but to me, I realize that I have been conflating the stories of Luke and Matthew about the account of the birth of Jesus so much that I, di- I missed the message of both of them. That, that is this, that, that um, in the Christmas story, so often, even in my own house, when we're on Christmas Eve reading through the Christmas story, we will read pieces from Matthew and pieces of Luke so that we get the whole story. And in so doing, we take both stories and we mash them together and we miss what each one is trying to communicate. So in Luke, you have all of this stuff about Mary, right? Mary has all of these experiences. Mary has this great poem that she says. The shepherds come to worship Jesus. Jesus is born in a stable and in lowly circumstances. Luke's agenda is that Jesus is coming of humble birth. In his great humility, he is coming. uh, And all of these outcast people and lowly people experience the presence of Jesus in a humble way. Now, contrast that with Matthew. In Matthew, we have this genealogy that Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the coming king. In the book of Matthew, we have Joseph. Mary hardly exists. There's no treasuring up anything in Mary's heart in Matthew. Mary, in the book of Matthew, is the wife of Joseph and the mother of Jesus. But Joseph is very prominent because Joseph is the son of David. Joseph is is, uh, the lineage for the king, and Jesus is coming in as the king. And in in the book of Matthew, you have magi, these these, uh, majestic, uh, regal, kind of important, prominent people coming to worship him. And the king of the region here is being afraid of what's happening. Because Matthew's agenda here is Jesus is the king, Jesus is the king, Jesus is the king, Jesus is the king. What? Those are two very different things. Jesus is the humble servant who comes to in lowly birth and circumstances to reach the oppressed and the outcast. Jesus is the king who has come to rescue his people. Those are two very different messages, and I've been mashing them together and missing both. And here, listen to this. Here come these magi from the east, and they come in, and they come to the king, Herod, and they say, hey, the new king is born. Have you got a son? The king of the Jews, we saw his star. This is like the king that everybody's waiting for, right? And Herod goes, what? No, no, I am the king of the Jews. The Jewish people live here, and I am the king. What do you mean the king of the Jews has been born? I've got my own succession plan and it doesn't have to do with any stars. What's going on here? And so he starts asking around. Hey, uh, prominent religious people, Jewish religious people, um, what's going on with this? Oh yeah. Where's, the, where's this uh, Messiah Christ uh, king person to be born? 
Well, Bethlehem, didn't you know that? Huh, for somebody who says they're the king of the Jews, you should really know that. Because in, in Micah, uh, Micah chapter 5, it says uh, that, uh, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you who are too little among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. That's what it says in Micah chapter 5, and so that Bethlehem is where I would look. And Herod's like, whoa! That's what the prophets said? And the Magi went, okay, we'll go look in Bethlehem. So what does Herod do? Herod summons the wise men secretly, and he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down, and they worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed by their own country in another way. Isn't this interesting? You have these, these uh, really prominent, important people who come and they bring these gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh and they're bringing them to offer them to this new king. This king who is going to reign in Jerusalem, this king who's going to be like a king of old, this king who is going to bring peace to his people. And they're coming, and they're coming down, and they're, they're bowing down, and they're, they're paying homage to him. And they offer him these gifts. While at the same time, Herod knows what's going on, and Herod is not happy about it. Somebody has come in and said, hey, did you know there's going to be this new king? And Herod's going, uh, um, no. First of all, no. And second of all, no. We're about to see his response when they don't come back and tell him where this child is. And it's a hard no from Herod on this. But notice, too, these religious leaders. These magi from the east come and they say, hey, we hear that the Messiah has been born. We saw a star that represented him, which highlights to us that this Messiah has been born, this great king. Do you know where we would find him? And it wasn't like they went, no, we'd never heard of this before. They knew exactly where to look. Oh, I would look in Bethlehem if I was looking for the Messiah. 
If I was looking for the Messiah, I would definitely go to Bethlehem because this is what I know about the Messiah. He's going to come from Bethlehem. Bethlehem is like 500 steps from Jerusalem. It's right there. It's not that far away. And they didn't bother to go look. They didn't say, oh, you know what, Magi? We'll go with you. We'd like to find him too. Really? The Messiah's been born? We have been waiting for hundreds of years to hear from God and for the Messiah to be born. We've been searching the scriptures to know where he would come from. We are expecting this to happen, that this child will be born to this woman, and then he will reign and he will bring peace. And he shall stand, Micah 5 verse 4, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be their peace to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. And somebody comes and tells them, hey, that one that you're waiting for, he's been born and he's in Bethlehem. And they went, meh. What? Did you really believe this? Were you paying any attention at all? Here these people have traveled from hundreds of miles away so that they could come and honor him and bring him gifts. And you, the ones who were supposed to be waiting for him, the ones who were supposed to know that he was coming, didn't even bother to go and check it out. Are we really believers? Are we seeking him? Are we looking for him? Are we bowing down to him? Are we leaving uh, our place of comfort to go and find him and submit to this new king? Or can we not really be bothered with that? Because we've got other stuff going on. And you know, the current king, he doesn't seem too happy about the idea. And he's our current king, so... I think we'll just hang out here. We'll wait for the report. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, and he said, Rise, Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and they departed to Egypt and they remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. So the Magi are warned, they go a different way, they don't bother to talk about Herod, and so we'll come back to Herod in just a moment. But, the, but Joseph has another dream. You remember, he was um, anxious, he was in turmoil last week about whether or not he should take Mary as his wife, about uh, divorcing her because she was found to be with child and they had not yet come together. And in that place of, of uh, turmoil within him, he receives a vision and an angel speaks to him and says, don't be afraid, Joseph, to take Mary as your wife. 
Now he has another dream. And another angel, maybe the same angel, comes and speaks to him again and goes, hey, uh, just so you know, you might want to get out of here. Because now Herod knows that this child has been born and Herod's not happy about it and he's going to seek to destroy this child and so get out of here and go to Egypt. And that's what the angel says, but it's confirmed by this scripture so that it was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Out of Egypt I called my son. In Hosea chapter 11, Verse 1, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Oh, interesting. Neat little coincidence that Jesus would be the son of God, and like Israel was called the son, and then was called out of Egypt, then so Jesus also is going to be called out of Egypt. But if you start poking around a little bit in Hosea and reading sections of Hosea to see what's going on here, I, I don't have time this morning. There's a lot of scripture this morning, guys, and there's a lot of it in Hosea, and I don't have time to go through it all. So we're just going to, like, get ready, okay? Hosea chapter 3. Verses 4 and 5. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of, East, of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. This is after uh, Hosea has been told... People in Israel are not being faithful, and because of their sin, I'm going to cast them out of Israel. But in the later days, this is what's going to happen. A king like David is going to come, and he is going to reign. Then we have at, uh, in chapter 11, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But all of the sin that had been happening, right? He's, he's giving a little bit of a history lesson in chapter 11 about how Israel had uh, been called out of Egypt. God had loved them like a husband loves his, his, his wife and brought him in and brought Israel to this place that they could, could live, but they had sinned, and so they had been thrown out. But then in chapter 12 of Hosea, Verse 2, the Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel and in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, return, hold fast to love and justice, and wait continually for your God. Okay, so here's what's happening here. Jesus is being described to us in similar terms as what we heard from Israel, but Israel wasn't faithful. So we're hearing the same things. Out of, Israel, uh, out of Egypt, I called my son, but Israel wasn't faithful to the covenant. Israel sinned, Israel failed, and so Israel was going to have to be thrown back out 
And then, but there was going to be this promise of a coming king who would restore things. God would save them and he would restore them. And what's happening now is Jesus is being highlighted for us by Matthew as identifying as true Israel. He's like Israel, except without sin, without breaking the covenant. He's identifying with Israel, but where Israel failed, Jesus is going to succeed, and in so doing will fulfill both Israel's portion and God's portion of the covenant. So that when you get to Hosea chapter 13, verse 4, but I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt, you know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. And then in verse 10 of Hosea 13, where now is your king to save you in all your cities? Where are all your rulers, those of whom you said, give me a king and princes? I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is kept in store. The pangs of childbirth come for him, but he is an unwise son. For at the right time he does not present himself at the opening of the womb. I shall ransom from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O oh, death, where are your plagues? O oh, Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. The Lord is going to be their Savior even though they sinned. And Jesus is being identified as this great king who's coming to fulfill this. All of this to confirm both what the dream was that Joseph had received and what the prophet Hosea had said. Now, Joseph does that. He takes Jesus and he takes Mary and they go down to Egypt. And then Herod, verse 16 of Matthew chapter 2, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by those wise men, became furious. And he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region, who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Overreaction much? What? Okay, so let me get this straight. So there was a prophecy that a king was going to come. Those magi came, they said, and you guys told me that it was going to happen in Bethlehem? Well, just in case, I'm going to go and kill all the male children from two and under in Bethlehem and everywhere around Bethlehem. There is not going to be any kinging other than mine. We're going to get rid of all of them. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah. Weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. And Matthew points us back to the book of Jeremiah. And in the book of Jeremiah, in chapter uh, 31, in verse 15, you hear these very same words. And it sounds like this really heart-wrenching, awful time because in Matthew, when that happens and all of those baby boys are killed, it is a heart-wrenching time. But in the context of, of Jeremiah chapter 31 and the fulfillment of the scripture, 
Okay, just listen to this. Jeremiah 31, verse 7. For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman and she who is in labor. Together, a great company they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by the brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it to the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from the hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion. They shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain and the wine and the oil and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden and they will languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. That's a different context than I was expecting. The context is that uh, Rachel is weeping for what has been happening, but it is, it's in the context of the Lord bringing his people back and restoring them from the loss, uh, from the consequences of their sin, from their punishment. He is redeeming them and bringing them back and picturing this glorious future. And Matthew's pointing out that Jesus highlights for us that he is the one that's bringing in this glorious future even as... A voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping as Rachel is weeping for her children. Jeremiah highlights for us, in fact, later on in, the, in that same chapter in Jeremiah is where we get the great, in uh, Jeremiah 31, 31 is where we get the great uh, prophecy of the new covenant. That Jesus is going to usher this in. So even in Herod's response and even in his seeking to put to death all of these children, it is to fulfill the prophecy that that, uh, the Lord would be redeeming, restoring his people. Even in doing that, Herod is confirming the prophecy of Jeremiah that he's wishing to thwart. And in 19 of Matthew chapter 2, Herod dies. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. 
And he rose, and he took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and he lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Okay. If you've thought it has been good so far, it's about to get even better. Because in Isaiah chapter 11, it says this, there shall, come forth, uh, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Okay, so, so Jesse was, was the father of David, and David was the great king, and David uh, rose up like a tree, that then his lineage seemed to be cut off. Even though God had made a promise of this covenant to David that he would always have one of his, his uh, descendants on the throne, it seemed as though the kingdom had been cut off. But then it says, now we are going to have, Isaiah pr prophesies that we're going to have this shoot come out, a branch, a netzer, is going to come out from the stump of Jesse. A netzer, that's what that, that word branch is. And so here we have uh, Jesus is going to come from Nazareth where he will be a Netzerian. A Netzerine. He's from Branchtown. This is the branch from Branchtown. He's coming to fulfill this prophecy. So again, you have G Joseph receiving these visions and dreams from the angel so that it will, uh, it will uh, con be confirmed by what the prophets have said that he will come from Nazareth. He will be a Nazarene. There shall come for forth from the shoot... Uh, sorry. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees or decide disputes by what he, his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Again in verse 9, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. In that day, that root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover from the remnant that remains of his people, from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathos, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. 
He is going to reign in this place. He is going to bring back His people from every nation, from all over the world. He is going to bring them back and He is going to reign in righteousness. He is going to be the King. He is going to be the one who fulfills all of the prophecies. Micah fulfilled it. Hosea fulfilled it. Jeremiah fulfilled it. Isaiah fulfilled it. He is going to be the great king. Matthew just over and over and over again. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. If you have been wondering up to this point what it is that Matthew's agenda is, it's this. I want you to know that Jesus is the king that was prophesied. And he is setting this up in no uncertain terms so that when he begins to redefine for us what we think the kingdom is, we're already set up. And he's going to do that. We have an idea of what we think the kingdom should be. They had an idea of what they thought the kingdom should be. And he's going to go, that's not what the kingdom is. But before we get to that, he wants to set up that all of the prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus, that Jesus absolutely is the Messiah, the great King that we have been waiting for. And so what I'd like to do right now is just praise God together with you that we know, and it has been confirmed through the Scriptures for hundreds of years, that Jesus is the great King that we have been waiting for.